0: She's crying because she doesn't want to leave. Like, (laughs) just kidding. She probably started crying because I came up. Um, So uh, how many of you have ever been watching uh, TV? You're you're, uh, scrolling through Instagram Reels for some of our older friends. Maybe you're on Facebook and uh, you're going through and you see an ad, and, and you finish watching the ad, and you think, man, there's no way that that product can work like they said it would work. How many of you, you've been there before? Like, you're watching, yeah, okay, like a lot of infomercials, like, there's no way that this is gonna work the way that they, like, if I buy this, I'm gonna be extremely disappointed. I had one of those happen to me a while ago, I, I was scrolling on, on Instagram or Facebook, I was on something, And an ad came up, and you've probably seen this ad before. The the guy comes up, and first of all, the the guy that is on the ad, he's like ripped. He's jacked. Dude looks like he's been working out before he came out of the womb. I mean, he is like, he's ripped. And so he's like, hey, you want to look like me? And I'm like, yes, I would love to look like you. So I keep watching because he's going to tell me how I get to look like him. And and then uh, he goes on, and he's like, hey, are you tired of dieting? And I'm like, well, I don't really do it that much, but if I did... Uh, yes, I would be tired of it. And he's like, are you tired of working out in order to look like me? And I'm like, yes, I don't want to work out anymore. If I could look like you and not work out, man, tell me what you're like, like selling. And so he's like, well, all you have to do is buy this bottle of pills that I've created... And if you buy this bottle of pills and you take one every day and you never have to work out again, you can eat as much pizza as you want. You, you never have to do another push-up. Like you, you can just take this pill and you will look exactly like I do. And don't judge me. Every time I see that commercial, that, that, that preview, whatever you want to call it, I see it on Instagram, I see it on Facebook... I watch the whole thing every time, (laughs) and and by the end of the video, I'm like I'm like sold. I'm like okay, let's do it. I I, every and this happens almost every time I see the ad. I go to the website, I click on the product, like I put it in my cart. I'm like I'm down. Like let's go. I'm gonna look like that guy, and I get to my cart and I'm like hold on a second, this is not gonna work the way I think it's going to. Like I'm gonna get this pill, and I'm still gonna look like exactly how I look like now because it's not gonna do anything for me. And the reason I do that is because I think there is in all of us this desire to have something simple that can fix all of our problems. Right. We want that. We want there to be something in our life, something that we can take, something that we can put on, something that we can have that will just solve problem problem like we never have to do do any more work i would never have to do a push-up again like it it would be great if i just had something that would solve the problem that's not usually how it works and there's a belief in christianity today that takes jesus and he makes him that pill where, where, When you place your faith in Jesus, you come to faith in Him because God sent Jesus down to this earth. He lived a perfect life. He died uh, the death that we should have died. A- and, and then He rose again from the dead. And the Bible says if you place your faith in Him, He gives you life and life more abundantly. And so a lot of people believe that when you place your faith in Jesus, that, that He comes in like that pill and He just solves all of your problems. And so if you're a believer in Jesus, man, you'll never have any more financial difficulties. Wouldn't that be nice? Like, like, if you're a Christian man, you'll never have another marital problem. You'll never have another prodigal. Like, your life is gonna be great because you have Jesus. And that's what, what, what a lot of people preach, that, that this prosperity gospel, that everything's gonna be great as long as you follow Jesus. There's a group of people in Hebrews chapter 10 who believe differently. And they believe differently because they experience differently. So if you brought a Bible with you today, that's where we're going to be. We're going to be in Hebrews chapter 10. And I think from these people's lives, we can learn something about how we can respond to the hardships of this life, because we all have them. It's been said, and I believe that in this room today, we have three different types of people. There's only three. We've got some people who right now you're coming out of a hardship. You've gone through a very difficult place in your life. You've gone through a really difficult financial situation. You've gone through a really difficult fi- uh, uh, breakup. You've gone through a really difficult marital situation. And so right now, you're kind of coming out of that hardship. You're, you're coming out on the other side. There's some of you who right now in this room, you walked in today, and you are in the middle of a hardship. And for you, I just want to say I hope you leave today encouraged. Because right now, you, you, you feel like there's no way out. You feel like everything's ruined. You're in the middle of a hardship. And there's some of you, some of us, who you, you're not coming out of one necessarily recently. You, you're not in one right now. But what you don't realize is that you're heading into one. Because all of us experience hardships. Every single one of us do. And so from these people in Hebrews chapter 10, we're going to learn how do we deal with those hardships. And if you don't know a lot about the book of Hebrews... The book of Hebrews, we don't know who wrote it, really, but we know who it was written to. It was written to a group of Jewish believers, people who who were uh, Jewish, and then they've converted to Christianity. They've placed their faith in Jesus. And the writer of this book, he writes a letter to them because they're the Old Covenant people. They're the Old Testament people who have now placed their faith in the New Covenant. But there's like a lot of difficulty because they're trying to understand how now the New Covenant works, the New Testament works. They don't really get it. And so the writer writes to these Jewish people to explain hey this is how the old covenant worked and this is how the new covenant worked or works and so he's writing in the first couple chapters about how everything in the old testament pointed to Jesus because that's that's the story of the bible the story of the entire scriptures is the story of Jesus And so the the whole Old Testament, it's pointing to him. And so in the first couple chapters, he's saying things like all of those priests in the Old Testament, they were a picture of a better priest that would one day come. The the law itself, the 613 laws in the Old Testament, what they were was they were a picture of someone because human beings could not fulfill the law. It was a picture of someone who would one day come and fulfill the law. All the sacrifices in the Old Testament, they weren't an end in and of themselves. They were a picture of a better sacrifice that would one day come. All the angels who brought messages in the Old Testament were were pictures of a better messenger who would one day come. And all of those things were fulfilled in Jesus. That's what he's trying to communicate to them. And in Hebrews chapter 10, he's in the middle of talking about how that Jesus is the better sacrifice, because he is. And so as we work down through Hebrews 10, what he's trying to get them to understand is that now that God has sent this better sacrifice, whose name was Jesus, he was the sacrifice for our sins, he took your sin on himself, he died on a cross, taking the judgment of God that that you were supposed to experience, and he took it on himself, died for you, and then rose again from the dead. He is the best, the better, the great sacrifice, right? So he's saying this, and then he says, because God has sent this better sacrifice, now there's no other sacrifices for your sins. He he is the only sacrifice. And can I just say, uh, for, for, for all of us in this room, there is nothing that you can do other than spending forever in hell to pay for your sins. That's the only way we can pay for it. The only other way that it can be paid for is by trusting in the fact that Jesus has already paid for it. Those are the only two options. And so what the writer says in the, as we get down through Hebrews chapter 10, he says, if any man sins willfully after he's come to the knowledge of the truth. So like all of us, like people in the New Testament, we know that Jesus came. And so if any man sins willfully, meaning if they, if they don't believe, if they choose to reject the message of the gospel, there remains no more sacrifice for their sins. But Meaning that there's no other sacrifice that we can run to other than Jesus. Meaning that, that, that no amount of sacrifice that you make for God is going to allow you to get into heaven. Like no amount of baptism, church attendance, no amount of good works. Nothing is going to get you into heaven other than placing your faith in Jesus. And so for, the, for these Hebrews, Hebrew, Hebrew believers, they've accepted that. They've placed their faith in Jesus. The problem was... Jesus didn't fix all the problems that they had in this world, because they were still having difficulties. Remember, this is the first century, and in the first century, it's very difficult to be a believer, like traumatizing to be a believer in Jesus. And so they're following Jesus. They're being faithful to Jesus, but their lives still weren't like without problems. They still had difficulty. They were being excommunicated from their families because they placed their faith in Jesus. People were being placed in prison because they placed their faith in Jesus. They had family members stripped from them and burned at the stake because they followed Jesus. And they're looking around, and it would have been really easy for them to think, man, if I would just forsake Jesus, if I just got rid of this whole Christianity, if I just walked away from my faith, all of my problems would be solved. Because these unbelievers, they don't have that problem. But what they didn't understand was that the unbelievers had an eternal problem. Their their lives may have been a little bit easier on this earth, but they had an eternal problem, whereas we have temporary problems, but our eternal problem is solved. And so as he gets into this, he, he calls them to remembrance in verse 32. So look with me in verse number 32. He says, but call to remembrance the former days in which after ye were illuminated illuminated ye endured a great fight of afflictions i think that's really interesting he calls them to remember before because right now they're going through a really really difficult hardship families are being taken away like they don't know what to do and so and so the author calls them to remember what happened before and i love how specific he gets because he says remember after you were illuminated, after you placed your faith in Jesus, it was after you had trusted in the gospel of Jesus Christ to pay for your sins, it was after that that he says you went through a great fight of afflictions. So so, so hang on. They trusted in Jesus and then went through a hardship. How many of us can relate with that? Because in this room today, there's a lot of different hardships represented. And a lot of them took place after you placed your faith in Jesus. And so that's what what the author is saying. What he's saying is that the life of a believer is awesome, but it's not always easy. Sometimes it's difficult. And so just because you placed your faith in Jesus doesn't mean that that you're not going to have an easy life. Just because you're faithful to Jesus doesn't mean you're never going to have another problem. Because it was after they trusted Jesus after they were illuminated, that they went through this great fight of affliction. So what did they go through? Look at verse number 33. Partly, whilst you were made a gazing stock, both by reproaches and afflictions, and partly whilst you became companions of them that were so used. So first of all, it says that they were a gazing stock. And and the word there has the idea of of placing someone on a stage where, where everybody can see them. So so think about that. These people are going through the most difficult time of their life, and yet there are people around them who are watching not in compassion, but they're watching in enjoyment. It's a lonely place. Can you imagine going through the most difficult time of your life, and you really don't have that many people to stand with you, but you've got a lot of people who are standing there saying, man, he deserved that. That's what, that's what you get for following that Jesus, guy. That's what you get for sharing your faith with me. That's what you get for trying to push this whole Jesus thing on me. They, they, they were made a gazing stop. For what? By both their reproaches, so that is verbal abuse, because most of them were being uh, uh, rejected by their families because they replaced their faith in Jesus. It says so, so it was by their afflictions, and then it was also by their reproaches, which is physical hardships, financial difficulties. Being stripped from your family, being hung, burned at the stake, sewn asunder. This was difficult. And people were just watching in enjoyment. It's not fun. Have you ever like done something really embarrassing? Or, Or or you messed something up or you got hurt? And people just like stood around and laughed at you. Like that, that happened to me a lot when I was skateboarding because I fell a lot, and so I would fall. And then, and then for some reason, there's something in human beings that every time somebody falls, you feel the need to laugh. And I don't know why that is, but but that's what these people were doing. These people had fallen, and now they were made a gazing stock. They were laughing at people, so they were going through their own difficulties. But then look what it says. It says that they became companions of them that were so used. So not only were they going through a difficult time, not only were they going through hardships, but the people that they loved were also going through hardships. This is not a fun time for them. It's it's difficult. They were suffering things that most of us will never suffer. These are the most difficult hardships that we could ever imagine. And I'm not naive enough to think that some people came into this room today that, man, you're going through some hardships. Like, you don't know what to do. You're going through a really difficult season in life, and you're trying to follow Jesus every day, and you're trying to be faithful, and you're a Christian, you're, you're, a, you're a child of God, and yet that bill is coming, and you don't know how you're going to pay it. Your marriage feels like it's constantly in conflict, and you, you're just waiting for it to end because you just don't know what else to do. That that prodigal that you've been praying for, for years, he just won't, or she just won't come home. Like, they're just, they're walking away. Your kids are rebellious, and you just don't know what to do. And you're going through this really difficult time in your life. And you walked in this morning, and maybe some of us, we walked in this morning, and we're kind of questioning the faithfulness of God because we're we're like, man, how, how could God love me? How could God say He loves me? And he's allowing me to go through this and you feel betrayed, you feel like you, he's failed you. you feel like he doesn't care about you. maybe you walked in this morning and you're struggling with depression. maybe even some of us are struggling with with with, with the thoughts of suicide just because we don't know any other way out. And for those of you that that's you, I want to tell you you're not alone. You're in good company in the scriptures. David David makes me uncomfortable <laughs> in, 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 um, in the Scriptures. And the reason being is because he, in, in the Psalms, he says some things to God where I'm like, is he allowed to say that? Like, I don't think he was supposed to say that. He says something like this in Psalm chapter 13. And this is a prayer to God. Keep in mind, he is speaking to the creator of the heaven and the earth. And here's what he says. How long wilt thou forget me, O Lord? Forever? How long wilt thou hide thy face from me? How long shall I take counsel in my soul, having in my heart, or having, having sorrow in my heart daily? How long shall my enemy be exalted over me? Consider and hear me, O Lord my God. Lighten mine eyes, lest I sleep the sleep of death. David's like, hey, God, how long are you just going to ignore me? Like, how long am I going to have to do this by myself? He says, how long am I going to have to take sorrow in my heart? Like, how long am I going to have to counsel myself because you're not there? When are you going to come through? And he says, man, God, the only way that I see out of this is death unless you get me through this. That's why I say, for those of us that are struggling today, you're in good company. Because that's the prayer that David prayed. And Jesus warned us of this. He warned us that this was coming. He said, in this world, you will have tribulation. But be of good cheer, I have overcome the world. He says, listen, you're going to go through some hard times. In this life, you're going to have tribulation. It's going to be difficult. Sometimes this life is going to stink. But be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. Jesus absolutely solves your eternal problems. Absolutely. But this world calls us some temporary ones. Sometimes they're difficult to go through. And so the Christian life is not an easy life necessarily, but it is an abundant life. And so I want to see what was their response. So they're going through the most difficult time of their life. What's their response to these difficulties? Well, look at what it says in verse number 34. For ye had compassion of me in my bonds and took joyfully the spoiling of your goods, So remember, this is a different time. The, the author that wrote this at one time was probably in prison for preaching the gospel. A- and so the Bible says that these people, the people that he's writing to, had compassion on him while he was in prison. That, that could mean that they gave to him. That could mean that they wrote letters. That could mean that they sent books. All we know is that they were compassionate on him. And then it also says that they took joyfully the spoiling of their goods. So during this time, if someone was a criminal, a.k.a. a Christian, the government could come in and just take whatever they wanted. Like they could take land, they could take food, they could take belongings, they could take whatever they wanted. And that's what was happening to these people. The government was coming in, they said, hey, you're a Christian, you're preaching the gospel, you're a criminal, Criminal. and so I'm going to take everything that you have. The Bible says they took joyfully the spoiling of their goods. that 's not how that's supposed to happen, right because when we go through hardships, we do we do a couple different things sometimes we we, we resort into being a hermit, and we just like don 't reach out to anybody and we 're staying in our house and, and, and we 're going to watch the The Bachelor on TV because he broke up with us, and so we 're just going to like spend the rest of the week watching like TV shows right we, we We turn into a recluse, we get back. Another thing that often we do is. We'll hold on to everything we have, so especially if you're going through a financial difficulties. You're like, man, I'm done giving to the church. I'm not tithing anymore. Like, I'm done being. I'm I'm done being generous because I got to hold on to everything that I have because of this really difficult time. So I've just got to. I've got to hog it all in. I've got to hold on to it. And, and then another thing we do is we get depressed. We get angry. These people did the polar opposite. It, 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 they they were where we isolate ourselves they reached out to others. Where we would hold on to everything we have, they continued to be generous. And where we would be depressed and angry, they responded to the situation with joy. So in the midst of their most difficult time in life, how did they respond? They responded in faithfulness and joy. And everyone looking on would be like, that's not how that's supposed to be. I've seen a lot of people go through difficult times, and that's not how you're supposed to respond. Uh, This past weekend, we went to go visit uh, the Pateys. Some of you remember them. They They were here for a while. Nate's in the Air Force, and so he got moved. And we went down to Missouri... And we went to the biggest Bass Pro Shop in the world. How, how many of you have ever been before? The biggest Bass Pro Shop. I think it might be the original one. I don't know. A couple of you have been. Okay. So this place is huge. And it's just a Bass Pro Shop. But then also they added an aquarium. And there was a penguin exhibit. I felt like I was in the zoo. But it was like a Bass Pro Shop. And so there's a store connected to it too. And we spent, this is embarrassing. We spent six hours in a Bass Pro Shop. Like, it was like an amusement park. I don't know what they did to this place, but it was insane. So we walk in, and and, and I walk into this Bass Pro Shop, and I'm looking around, and I'm like, this place is crazy. Like, they have paint on the walls that makes you look like you're underwater. I'm like, who designed this place? And so then I go, and there's an aquarium. We paid to go in the aquarium. They've got fish everywhere. They had penguins, otters, crocodiles. I'm like, "Where, where am I right now? Like This is not what a Bass Pro Shop is supposed to be. I've been to Bass Pro Shops before, and this is not how they're supposed to be. There, there should be something about our life that when other people see us going through trials, they look at us and say, that's not how it's supposed to be. I've seen a lot of people respond to hardships, and that's not how people respond. They don't respond in being faithful, and they don't respond in being joyful. That's not how they're supposed to respond. respond. But that's how the believer should respond. But that's harder than it sounds. Like we read verses like, like Matthew 5:11 and 12. Blessed are ye when men shall revile you and persecute you, and shall say all manner of evil against you falsely, for my sake. Rejoice and be exceeding glad. James 1:2 says, My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into diverse temptations. Psalm 23:4. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Those verses look really good on a t-shirt, and they sound really cool on an Instagram bio. But when it comes time to live them, it gets hard. It gets difficult. So in order to figure out how we respond that way, we have to look at what their motivation was. We, we, because we, we can't do that by ourselves. We can't just figure out how to respond in joy and faithfulness. We can't discipline ourselves to joy and faithfulness. Like, there's gotta be something behind it. And the author tells us what their motivation was in verse 34. So it says, For ye had compassion of me and my bonds and took joyfully the spoiling of your goods. Here it is, knowing in yourselves that ye have in heaven a better and enduring substance. Knowing in yourselves. See, the reason that they were able to respond in faithfulness and joy was because they knew in themselves that this life wasn't it. That, that something better was coming after they passed away. That something greater was coming after this life was over. And so the things in this life really didn't matter all that much anymore because they believed that something greater was coming. And it says that they knew it in themselves. See, so we, we, we come to church and we sing these songs like, man, this, this world's not my home. I'm just a passing through. And we sing it. But is it in us? Like, do you believe? I want you to stop and think about this question. Because our natural response, if you grew up in church, your natural response is to say, oh, yeah, I believe that. But think about it. Do you believe That as a believer in Jesus, as a Christian, when you die, you are going to go and spend forever with the creator of the heaven and the earth in the midst of the greatest pleasure that you've ever experienced. Do you believe that? And if so, why are we so concerned about the things that happen here? If that is our home, if that's where we're going, then why do we get so upset about the things that are happening here? What the author is telling us here is that if this life is the only kingdom that you're investing in, then of course you're going to get worked up when it's gone. We wonder why we get upset, but then we go out and our life is completely consumed with making money and experiencing pleasure and building our kingdom rather than building his kingdom. And then we wonder, man, why am I so upset when hardships come? It's because this is the only kingdom that we're investing in. And when this is the only kingdom that we're investing in, of course we're not going to look forward to the next kingdom. We're going to be upset when things are taken away in this kingdom. It's impossible for us to respond to the hardships of this life with joy and faithfulness, if we believe and live like this world is our home. This world is not our home. This isn't where we're staying. Our true home is a place where there's no more tears. There's no more suffering. There's no more hardships. There's no more hurt. There's no more breakups. There's no more divorce. There's no more pain. There's nothing that's evil in this world. Everything that breaks our heart about this world doesn't exist there. That's our home. That's where we're going. Psalm 1611 says, That will show me the path of life. In thy presence is fullness of joy, and at thy right hand is pleasure forevermore. We get to be with him. That's our home. And he says that it's a substance that's more Enduring. So, so it's better, meaning that it's more pleasurable. Like any kind of pleasure that we can experience on this earth is, it pales in comparison to the, the pleasure that we get to experience with him. And then it also says that it's more enduring, meaning that it's gonna last forever. That means forever. No more pain. Forever. I can look like that guy in the video, like forever, because I'm gonna have a perfect body. Forever. It's more enduring. And if that's our real home, then why are we so devastated when this home breaks? A couple months ago, actually, I think it was last year, Pastor and I, we, for some reason, we were, we were out of town. We went to a hotel. And when we walked into the hotel, you ever walked into a hotel and, and just thought, like, this is going to be interesting? Um, that's, that was this hotel. Cause we walked in and there's fans everywhere on the floor and they're all pointed up. And I was like, that's interesting, but maybe they're, maybe they're hot and they want fans. So then I look up and there is just water damage everywhere on the ceiling. Like, like tiles are falling down. Some of the tiles are brown. Like it just looks awful. And you know what I didn't do in that moment? I didn't walk in and freak out, like, oh no, this is gonna cost so much money. How are we gonna pay for this? What, what's gonna happen? I didn't go to the hotel like manager and been like, hey, I don't know how we're gonna pay for this. We gotta like I didn't start looking for contractors to try to fix the ceiling. Why? Because that's not my home. I'm staying there for a little while, and then I'm gonna go to my real home where there's no water damage in the ceiling, hopefully. <laughs> that's not my home. And so I'm not freaking out trying to fix everything because I'm not staying there. I'm not upset when when I walk into a hotel and I see that things aren't like they should be because that's not my home. And so when we go out into this world and we look out and we see that things aren't as they should be, we need to remember this isn't our home. This isn't where we're staying. We're not going to be here for that long. So in order to respond to the trials of this life in joy and faithfulness, we have to remember where our true home is. That's the only way we can do it. Because if this life is it, if it is it, of course we're going to respond to hardships drastically. But if this world isn't it, then we're going to respond in joy and faithfulness. And so then the author gives them encouragement in verse number thirty-two or 35. He says, cast not away, therefore, your confidence. What confidence? The confidence that one day you're going home. Don't lose that confidence, because if you lose that confidence, you will not respond in faithfulness and joy. You have to hold on to the fact that this world isn't our home. Philippians 3.20 says, for our conversation, our citizenship is in heaven from whence we also look for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Holding on to this confidence is the only way we will respond properly to the hardships of this life. What's interesting about Psalm 13 is that David is going through a really difficult time in his life. We don't know when Psalm 13 was written, but it was during a really difficult time of David's life. And he starts off with those questions I asked earlier. God, how long are you going to leave me by myself? How long am I going to have to counsel my own heart? How long are you going to forget about me? How long is this going to go on? That's how he starts off the psalm. But when we get to the end of the psalm, nothing in his situation has changed. God hasn't necessarily come through yet. But here's what he says in the last two verses. But I have trusted in thy mercy. My heart shall rejoice in thy salvation. I will sing unto the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. He's like, hey, nothing's changed about my situation. But what has happened is that God's been merciful to me. And so I'm going to hold on to that. Because that's all I can do. And this is the, it's the same prayer. Nothing's changed in David's life, but he just knows that God's been merciful. And that's how we can respond to. That God, hey, I know I'm going through a difficult time, but you've been merciful. Last year, we went back home for a couple days. And uh, about, two week, or about a week, we were with Gabby's parents. And when we were with them, uh, her parents and her siblings and, and me and Gabby, we went on a, a trip to the mountains and we did some hiking and it was a lot of fun. And one of the hikes that we went on, we went down to this tunnel that was carved into a mountain. It was like a mile long. We had to walk through it. It, And it took about a a mile, maybe a mile and a half to get down to where the tunnel is. And so we walked down there. We go through the tunnel. It It was a really cool trip. And as we go into the tunnel, we're walking through and we start to hear some rain start. And when we get to the end, we realize that it is like pouring down rain, like hurricane weather. And so we're like, man, we've got to get out of here. But we had her niece with us. And if you know anything about babies you know that they don't necessarily like to be wet and so uh, I learned that that day so we put her in this little backpack thing we have and I think I carried her for a little bit and then and then Gabby carried her and we're just we're going through the rain and she is just screaming because of this storm like there's there's lightning there's thunder and she is just wailing because she doesn't want to be wet and it's difficult and me as the man I was like man we're just going to keep going I'm not trying to console her I'm just like I'm gone but but Gabby was getting she, she would get really close to her. And she would say, hey, Harper, it's going to be okay. Harper, Harper, I know it's uncomfortable right now. I know we're going through this storm. I know it's difficult. I know you're cold. I know you don't like it. But hey, we're almost home. Hey, we're almost there. We're going to be warm soon. You're going to be out of this storm. You're going to be in the car. You're not going to be wet anymore. I know it's hard right now, but listen, we're almost home. And for those of us in this room today, that that you're going through that weather, you're going through that difficult time, you're going through that hardship, and you don't know what to do, I would just say, hey, trust God, because listen, hey, you're almost home. Respond in joy, respond in faithfulness because one day you're not going to be here anymore and you get to be with Him, you're almost home and so just wait. Don't throw away your confidence because you're almost home. We're, we're almost there. So in your most difficult times in life, we want to respond in joyful, joyfulness and, and faithfulness. The only way we do that is by remembering where our home really is. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes. There's a couple different ways that you can respond to this message. Because I think there's a way that all of us can respond here. The first response is, some of us, you're you're going through that difficult time right now. And maybe for you, What we're responding to this looks like is just coming and saying, God, I'm going through a hard time right now. I'd like it to stop, but I know you know it's hard, and and I'm just going to trust that one day I'm going to be at home. And I'm just going to trust you, and I'm going to respond, and I'm going to continue to be faithful and joyful because this world isn't my home. Maybe for you, that's your response. Maybe for some of you, you're not in a hardship right now, but you know someone who is. And what might be good, what might look like for you to respond is for you to come and pray for them. That they would realize where their true home is and, and that they would respond to this hardship and joyfulness and faithfulness. And for some of us, maybe you walked in today and you don't know where your home is. You, you don't know that if you died today, you would go to heaven. You have no idea. You're like, man, I don't, I don't, I don't know about heaven. I don't know about hell. I just don't know where I'm going to go when I die. I don't know that heaven is my home. If that's you today, maybe you need to come and let somebody talk to you. And in a minute, what's going to happen is some people are going to come forward. They're going to kneel at this altar. They're going to pray. And when that happens, if that's you, and you're like, man, I don't know what I'm going to do. I don't know what's going to happen to me when I die. I don't know where my home is. Then you come forward, and we're going to have somebody talk to you.